just before we sing our opening hymn, or at least not sing, sorry, after 10 months you'd think, it would, well, you never sing at home, you can sing at home. We'll just hum along quietly behind our masks. But this word of Scripture taken from the Gospel of Luke, and it's Zechariah's song, the father of John the Baptist. And we read in Luke chapter 1, when the father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, how we thank God that in Jesus Christ all these promises and so many more find their fulfillment. And so we celebrate the gift of the Savior born for us. Oh, come, all ye faithful. I'm conscious that this morning some of our families may be um, watching us. I know one or two do make the effort to start, sit with their children to watch us. So we're going to do something a wee bit visual just to help us to enter more fully into the story of Christmas. There are, of course, certain colors that are associated with this season. And sometimes, actually, it's a bit ironic. I was looking at something or saw something in Australia, which has had, on Christmas Day, it was 40 degrees in Sydney. And yet... On Boxing Day, when people were going into their shops and they're more open to things, the shops and everything are more open, lo and behold, right in the centre of this big shopping centre in Sydney was a nativity scene, and guess what it was covered in? It was covered in artificial snow. Artificial snow. There's something connected with this season, even if you're in the southern hemisphere, that tells us that it should have snow that there should be a covering. Just look at all the cars that we get. Yes, many of the cars are very Christian and have text and everything else on them. But even the ones that are like that, quite often will have scenes and the scene will involve the plate, the scene, whatever it is, the, the, the scene of the manger, whatever else. And there will be a covering of snow. Better put the cloth around the right way and that would be, that would be helpful. And there's this sense that, well, you know, it was snowing on Christmas Day. Now, there is snow in Judea sometimes on the high mountains. Um, there's certainly snow in Lebanon. They get that quite badly. So there is snow, um, and it may well have been snowy for the shepherds, perhaps, if it was in wintertime that Jesus was born. It may well have been a wee bit snowy for them up on the hills. But I certainly don't think they were out with the snow plows or anything else in Bethlehem. But there is this sense that somehow Christmas is associated with things being made nice and white. Perhaps you'll remember Ian Macquarie speaking to us about his visits to Russia and to some of the parts of Russia. The parts he's going to are not the, the, on the main 
how would you say, tourist route or anything else. They're actually pretty dreary places. One of the large towns or areas that he visited was an area that was used by the Russian government for um, armaments factories, chemical weapons establishments, do you know what else? And so it's pretty grimy and grubby. And yet they get a lot of snow there. The place is covered with snow, thick snow, and even the most grotty place covered with a level of snow, it suddenly looks wonderful, nice, clean, pure. You see, there's a longing in our hearts, in the hearts of humanity, for purity, for things to be right, for things to be clean, for things to be beautiful, for paradise. And if you listen, if you do listen to to people speculating on post-COVID society and everything else, you'll notice that quite a lot of the emphasis is that there's going to be a you order. There'll be a you fairness, a you justice, a a, a you righteousness in the world. And obviously making sure that nations that are poorer get the virus, the, the vaccine and everything else, that's part of that. But this longing that somehow this calamity, this messiness, this dirtiness in a sense of the last year will lead to a you earth. Unfortunately, history would tell us, apart from what the Bible tells us, that that won't happen. The human aspiration for things to look pure and righteous and clean and right is there built into us, but of ourselves and our own abilities then unfortunately there's a paradox that the more we strive for paradise here on earth, the more we create, unfortunately, a living hell, at least for many. Interesting, the the prophecy given, or the song of prophecy given by John's father, Zechariah, speaks of the promise that this one who was coming would enable God's people to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then speaking about John the Baptist and his ministry, he would go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Right at the heart of the Christmas story, and that's perhaps why the whole picture of snow and everything is, is included in it, is this belief that the one who was coming was going to be able to do and can do what, humanly speaking, we can't do. He can make a fundamental difference. He can bring about the forgiveness of sins. And sin, of course, ultimately is that self-centeredness, that selfishness, that I at our heart. It's not just the outward acts that are wrong, but it's our attitude of heart. That's why we might strive for paradise, we might strive for perfection, for things to be right. But ultimately, our wrongness overweighs our rightness. But there is one this one who was born, that Zechariah rejoiced over, who would enable God's people to be righteous, who would bring a knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, who is able to do what, humanly speaking, we can't do, and that is deal with the deepest of the human conditions. The snow covers the grubby landscape, 
But even that then turns to slush, doesn't it? And it becomes messy and dangerous. As I said a couple of times over this Christmas period, we need to think more of the fact that in nature, in so many ways, and particularly maybe we're more aware of it now because of COVID, there are lessons there that God has put into nature and into the order of creation, including, dare I say, some evolutionary things. And some of you might fall off the seats hearing me say that, but there are some aspects of that that God has put into creation so that we can learn from that and see these things pointing to spiritual truths. Snow comes, it's beautiful, but it's a danger. Snow comes and it thaws and it's a mess but the cleansing, the purity, the righteousness that God brings lasts. That's why on our communion table, we have a white cloth. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the Bible speaks about, our advocate, the one who was without sin. In him, there was no spot or blemish. He is the one who comes as Zechariah recognized, to give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And how does he do that? Well, the the writer, the, the prophet, speaks about, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Now, the word redemption talks about people being bought back. I don't know about this Christmas, but it used to be very common, wasn't it, up till last Christmas, that um, one of the busiest days in shops like Marks and Spencer's was Boxing Day, and a few days later, when folk went back with the gifts they'd got in order to redeem them, (laughs) to get something else, or to get a voucher or a token. This idea of buying back, of getting back, Of course, it comes, or at least a a lot of it comes from the idea of the slaves who could be bought out of slavery, and the owner could pay a redemption sum which would free that slave and enable that slave to become a member of your household. Indeed, it wasn't unknown for a master to do that because he didn't have a son in those days because it was very much segregated. Businesses and everything were very much segregated and and men were the ones who were supposed to inherit business. And maybe they didn't have a son or maybe their son was a waste of space and his his servant, his, his slave was better. And so he would buy out that man from slavehood so that he could be a free man so that he could inherit the business, inherit the family's name and activities. And so there's all of that to do with redemption. There also is here talking about redeeming God's people, of buying them out, fulfilling what was said through the holy prophets so long ago. And he goes on to say, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And that an Old Testament story goes right back to the story of the people of Israel in Egypt. And the idea of let my people go, and Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And Pharaoh was trying to strike a bargain with Moses and with God as to what was the price in order to let the people go. Of course, the price was ultimately the price of his own children. As blood was used from the lamb over the Passover, and we saw that when we shared communion just a few weeks ago, the blood of the Passover lamb and the the sacrifice of that lamb, of that animal, the blood of that animal, bang out, in a sense, God's people from the hand of Pharaoh and bringing them into the land of promise. And so, all of that and more is caught up with the language and with the picture of redemption.
I was listening to the radio this morning, weren't we? Did you hear her? And this lady, this wifey, was on. And as far as I could make out, she's now into shaming sort of ism, isn't it? And, and Haiti is into, what's Haiti into? Double worship and all the rest of it. And she said something about what I believe is the inherent right of people to make up their own religion and believe what they think is right. That just sums up 21st century understanding. Diabolical. There is only one way for men and women to be made right with God, the Apostle Paul tells us. And that's through the blood of Jesus. That's through what he did for us. That's through that Passover lamb, that sacrifice. It's not just Rudolph that's got a red nose, and it's not just Santa. And again, you can see how, that, how the, the colors of Christmas speak of a message that most people don't really recognize, you know? Santa Claus with the, the red outfit and the red suit. Well, if we want to be right with God, we have to be clothed in the rightness of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. And it's that righteousness brought about by his life, by his perfect life, but also by his sacrificial death, his life blood shed for us. It's that that's the heart of the Christmas story. And so when people see Santa clothed in his Santa suit, they don't think of the fact that we are called to be clothed in that righteousness that belongs alone to Jesus. And that, as Zechariah recognized, because of God's tender mercy and in fulfillment to what the prophets had said and remembering his promise that he swore to Abraham, it's that which enables us to serve God without fear, the living God, the true God. He alone achieves that. And if white and red are all part of the color of Christmas, so uh, is gold, gold candles, the gold candle that we have in our Advent crown at the center there of our Advent wreath, marking, of course, gold as a sign of wealth. Gold is a sign of kingship. Gold is a sign of someone who is high. It's interesting that Zechariah says, you, my child, be called a prophet of the most high. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And of course, the story of Christmas has all of that in. The wise men particularly, going in a search for a king to be born today. And this idea that there was someone who was coming who would rule and reign in the way the Herod, of course, reacted to that because he wasn't going to have any more kings or anybody else in charge. The one who is, as we saw, as we looked at the passages before Christmas, the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so the gold of Christmas is there to remind us that the God who has done this is the one who is ultimately Though all uh, has all authority and all power. That's one of the big issues, of course, that humanity struggles with. We like to think that we are the king of the castle, that we are the one who is 
fully in charge. Surely, surely, this past year, how it hasn't done just shows how spiritually blind the God of this world has caused people to be. Because this year surely has told us that actually we're not that powerful. We're not that able. Yes, scientists have done amazing things, and how we pray that this vaccine will work, can be effective, and can be distributed to people within our society. But the recognition that without the gifts and abilities that we have been given by a creator, that, that, that without that we'd be able to do nothing, but very few people, not all, but very few recognize that. Elizabeth was just saying there was something on the other day, wasn't there, about creation and about how wonderful everything's just been put together and how nature has done that. Because Paul, writing to the, the church in Rome, starts off by saying this exactly is the problem. We worship created things rather than the Creator. We make God in our own image rather than bowing the knee before the one who alone is worthy to be praised, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is sovereign over the affairs of human history, the one who had spoken through the prophets long ago, fulfilled promises to Abraham that through him and he, the whole world would be blessed through his descendants. And how are those descendants blessed? They're blessed as in faith they believe God and believe God's promises. That's God's way. And that is what will, at the end of the day, be seen at the end of time. That the one who is Lord over history, the one who is Lord over all creation, is the one who also took frail flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. The shepherds recognized that. The wise men recognized that. Mary and Joseph recognized that. They bowed the knee in their hearts and literally physically before that manger. And God's people are called to recognize that. That in the midst of the ebb and flow of life, there is one who is most high. And our calling is to go before him and to make him known and to prepare the way. Gold, red, white. And the last color, and let's be honest, it's very obvious here in the church and the beautiful tree that was placed in the church at the beginning of this series of celebrations, is green. Now, we've shared in the past the story of the Christmas tree, haven't we? And of how the story is. It's just a story, but the story is that way back in the Dark Ages, a missionary monk was journeying his way through the dark forests of Bavaria, and he came across a little village, a little community, uh, just at this very time of year, just coming up to this very time of year. And this little village had never had any encounters with Christianity, at least as far as they know, or any message of hope. And so they were filled with fear because as they saw the sun getting lower and lower in the sky and the days getting darker, there was always this idea that somehow the sun would die wouldn't come back. And of course, without the sunshine, there'd be no springtime, there'd be no summer, there'd be no crops, there'd be no food, there'd be no life. And so in order to appease the sun god that was going in the huff and was going away, they would have to make a sacrifice. Again, one of the things, the longing for purity 
and for holiness, the longing actually for someone to be in charge and to be the boss, the longing for somehow things to be dealt with, to be sorted out, to be made different in our lives, that longing, all those longings which are built into human nature, their way of trying to appease the sun god was to sacrifice one of their own children. And they would sacrifice the child before the fir tree, the only thing that seemed to survive in the season of darkness. And so there was a tree, the largest tree in the forest beside the village, and there was a child just about to be murdered in order that its blood would appease the sun god. If you go through world religions, religions of tribal people, and everything else, again, you see these same themes, because there is still that built into us, that need of how do we appease a holy God? We have to make a sacrifice. We have to give a life. And the missionary monk, of course, was aghast. He intervened. He told them of Jesus. He got down the tree he put lights on it. I don't think they had any electric power in darkest, dark ages in Bavaria, but you get the idea. And so the tree is meant to be a symbol of life and light. Notice what the prophet or what Zechariah says. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The very last prophet of the Old Testament, writing well before the birth of Jesus, some 400 years before the birth of Jesus, but nonetheless prophesies that there will be one who will come, the book of Malachi, the son of righteousness will rise, he says, with healing in his wings. And so the greenery of Christmas is a reminder of that life, of that eternal life. In a sense, the everlasting tree. The one who rises with healing, who brings the light of life, who shines on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. The greenery speaks to us of that eternal reality and of the life and hope the one who is the light of the world brings into our hearts and lives. All these colors would be recognized by the vast majority of people living in Erdingston, wouldn't they? As the colors of Christmas, the white, the red, the gold, the green. In fact, if somebody was to come in, well, hopefully, they'd say, well, that looks really nice, very festive. But those colors are fundamental to what Zechariah recognized was happening. That's why his heart was filled with the Holy Spirit. He just wanted to rejoice in God, his Savior, as Mary rejoiced when she also discovered 
what God was going to do. Let me read to you again. Again, words that are well known, the Magnificat, Mary's song in Luke's gospel. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one. Again, notice the reference to the holy one, the mighty one, the Lord. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Well, he certainly has done a lot of that over the past year. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Christmas wasn't invented by the Victorians or by Santa Claus. Christmas is at the heart of God's prophetic purposes for humanity since the very dawn of time. The one who would come to crush the serpent's head, but at the cost of his own life and blood. It starts in Genesis, and it finds its fulfillment in Revelation where we see the Lamb who was slain for us and ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven, we, His people, His covenant people, stand in eternal and everlasting worship. That's the heart of Christmas. That's what most people, frankly, aren't even that bothered about finding out about. That just shows how spiritually dark and how the virus of sin has taken hold of so many. We just make up religion as we go along. Or we don't even bother with that. But for the believer, for those whom God has called, our eyes are opened, our hearts are warmed, our minds are stirred. As we look at the colors, as we see the Creator, as we remember the cost that the Creator has paid so that we, fallen, fragile human beings, might have a relationship with Him, He has given Himself. The one who set for the rising and falling of many, but the one who brings the tender mercy of God to the seeking heart. No wonder we can sing in our hearts, as well as with our lips, joy to the world. God, our Father, we gladly recognize that we are like the shepherds long ago, in that we come with humility and with a sense of mystery, and we bow the knee before the Lamb of God. We gladly recognize that we are like the wise men on a journey of discovery and of a journey of exploration, not after some deity that we have thought up in our own minds, but in the God who's revealed Himself down through history, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who made that covenant 
promise, the God who brought forth His people from bondage in the land of Egypt, the God who restored His people from exile in Babylon, the God who came in human flesh, the Word that dwelt among us, full of that grace and truth, the one who in Jesus Christ holds all human history, is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and who at the last will come in majesty and might to judge the living and the dead, and every eye will see Him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that scope, that scan of eternal truths are seen in the face of the baby lying in the manger. And we thank you for the testimony of Zechariah that you, through him, have reminded us of what you have done. You have raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. You have come to your people and redeemed us, brought us a knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. And as the rising sun of righteousness, you shine on all of us, living in spiritual darkness and dwelling in the shadow of death, the mercy and grace of God. And so we join with the hymn writers, both ancient and modern, and we say joy to the world, to our society dwelling in darkness. We pray against the virus of unbelief and of ignorance, of the deification of ourselves, the ultimate manifestation of sin seen daily, increasingly so in our contemporary world, the deification of self. But that tower of Babel will fall, and you will have your people ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven. Who, like me, should sing His praises? And so we thank you for all of that. And so we pray, O oh God, our Father, that as we journey into this new year, you would empower us and enable us. You would bring us something of that peace that, we were, that the prophet speaks about to guide our feet into the path of peace. How we ask that, that peace of God, which does pass all human understanding, would keep our hearts and minds fixed in the love and in the knowledge of God. And may now the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon us and journey with us this Christmas season and forevermore. Amen.